Good morning, welcome everyone. So glad to have you with us here as we continue in our series called Chosen by God about women in the Bible. Today we take a turn to the New Testament, learn about Mary Magdalene, excited and believe that God has a word for each and every one of us this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for the sunshine and just this day. We thank you for this community. Lord, we're thankful for your scriptures, which remind us about being shaped by you, changed by you, your glory made manifest in us. Lord God, we pray that right now you would open our ears and our eyes, mostly our hearts, to be transformed again and again and again by your saving grace. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. Chosen by God, week five. Next week, Pastor Ruth will close us out with uh, the final installment on Chosen by God. She'll be teaching out of Luke 7. Uh, Today, I'll be teaching out of Luke 8 and John 20, a message entitled, There's Something About Mary. Something About Mary Magdalene. This message has nothing to do with the rather crass movie from the 90s with that same title, but I just couldn't leave it alone. Something About Mary um, that we're going to talk about today, Mary Magdalene. I'm going to ask you a question to start with. Have you ever thought you knew something, but in reality, you really didn't? It's like you knew the surface, but not the substance. Or you knew something, but maybe didn't quite understand. When that happens, you need a paradigm shift. You you need to have your eyes open. You need to have uh, more alignment between what you know with your head and experience in your soul. It's a paradigm shift. Franklin Covey... (laughs) Yeah, uh, Stephen Covey uh, talks about paradigm shift in his book, Seven Habits. And he talked about being on a subway on a, on a Sunday morning, a very quiet scene. People were quietly reading. Everyone was kind of abiding by the peace. And the doors open. And as Covey recounted, a dad, exhausted, came in, sat down, put his head against the glass, closed his eyes. And then his kids just went crazy up and down the, the subway. And instantly, everyone's annoyed. Everyone's irritated. It's like... Hey, there's kind of a rule here. Everyone kind of mind their own kids. Everyone else is quiet. This is kind of annoying. So Covey gets a little more agitated, a little more agitated. Finally, he says something. He's like, hey, man, I don't want to you know, come off harsh, but you know, could you, you control your kids a little bit? The man opened his eyes, and he gently said, yeah, I, I, I see. You're right. We just came from the hospital, and their mother died about an hour ago. We're heading back to make some plans for what's next. And in a moment, Covey said, paradigm shift. Like what he saw with his eyes, what was unfolding, which he thought he understood, he actually had no understanding. And instantly he was filled with empathy and patience and asked good questions. And, and Covey says this in his books about needing to understand with our head and our heart, with a, with a paradigm shift. Covey says everything changed in that instant. And if we want to make significant quantum changes in our life, we need to work on our basic paradigms. We need to move from just the surface to the substance. We need to understand more. As we segue to today's Bible character, Mary Magdalene, church, I want to challenge you because there's a lot of things you probably thought you knew about Mary Magdalene that aren't actually, in fact, true from the scriptures at all. Like, if I were to ask you, what do you know about Mary Magdalene? I feel like, well, you know, a lot of associations with, like, prostitution. Uh, she's doing something illegal. There's modern books and movies that tell of having some sort of romantic relationship with Jesus, some with John. All of it outside of what the scriptures say. 
And today, church, I, w- I want you to have a paradigm shift with the person of Mary Magdalene. Because as we encounter this woman from the scriptures this morning, she's phenomenal. And we have bolted onto her courageous uh, following of Jesus. We've bolted on all these, you know, really unsavory reputations that aren't from the scriptures at all. It's, it's like it, it, we've taken her character and gently but methodically slandered her. I, I, I will be so bold to call it sexist, the way she's been treated in 2,000 years of church history. In all four Gospels, it's Mary Magdalene who actually encounters the risen Lord at the empty tomb. That's phenomenal. Like, she should be on, the, on our bumper stickers. We should celebrate her more. Like, here was a person that encountered. We're going to learn about her today. But instead, we remember her differently. Why is that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it can be confusing. There's a lot of Marys in the New Testament, really. There's Mary, Martha's sister, different woman. Mary, mother of Jesus, different woman. The other Marys, there's six in the New Testament. Mary Magdalene is unique, though. Every time Mary Magdalene is, is brought into the text, she's given her, her name and her location where she's from, Magdal, Migdal. Mary's unique. But something happened in the history of the church where we started to remember her differently. There was a pope in 591 AD, Pope Gregory I, where he, he took the scene that Ruth will be teaching on next week of Luke 7 of the, of the sinful woman. Remember the sinful woman who breaks the alabaster jar and wipes her tears on Jesus' feet? Beautiful scene. It'll be next week's text. Please come back to church. Pastor Ruth will be wrapping up our series with it. It's going to be phenomenal. But this Pope Gregory said, surely that sinful woman of Luke 7 must have been Mary Magdalene introduced in Luke 8. Surely that's got to be the same woman. And the church just took it and ran with it. And so even though modern scholarship says, oh no, Mary Magdalene was this unique person. She was, yes, redeemed by God. And we're going to talk about Luke 8, but she's in all four gospels. She has this experience with the risen Lord. We as society, we continue to remember her as a sinner, as somebody that's done worse than any of the rest of us. The f- truth of the matter is, church, that we are Mary. We all need change and deliverance and transform. We all are sinners saved by God. Mary Magdalene is mentioned 14 times in the Gospels, 14 times. And eight of those times, she's, she's part of a list of women. And every time she's listed, she's listed first with these other women. Scholars think that she has a place of honor. And so as we encounter the scriptures this morning, I want to challenge you, church, to to have a paradigm shift, to redeem your picture of Mary. And when you do, you'll have a deeper picture of your redeemed self. And that's what it's about. Said one scholar about Mary Magdalene, to reclaim Mary Magdalene is to reclaim Christianity. Because without her, our understanding of what Jesus really taught is incomplete. In fact, it is significantly distorted. Mary is the prototype of calling fulfilled. Because from her healing, she experienced Jesus' intimacy. From her proximity to Christ, she discovered her identity. And from the touch of Christ, she was invited towards sharing the news with others. And so this arc of intimacy and identity and invitation is all of our arcs. As we understand the, the, the gospel truth that Jesus came to change us and to know us and to send us on a mission of helping others feel known by him. This is, that, that's the gospel as lived out in this phenomenal character of Mary Magdalene. Let's start with the first point of our outline, that that through Mary Magdalene, we learn about intimacy with Christ, because she's delivered. 
She's delivered from her sin. This is from Luke 8. And again, it's, it's not appropriate to bolt her with the woman unnamed in Luke 7. But in Luke 8, Luke gives us the first description of this woman, Mary. Luke 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene. They call her Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, this is what the Bible does uniquely well. This is what's fun about studying the scriptures on your own. Because the scriptures are so full of meaning. So full of complexity in just these three little verses. Jesus comes, he's preaching the good news. Jesus is always coming to bring good news to us and to, and to teach us about our own transformation. These women have been cured of evil spirits. Mary is called Magdalene from the town of Migdal or Magdal, which was now gone, but it was between kind of current day Tiberias on the western sea of Galilee and Capernaum. That's where she's from. It was a prosperous Galilean town. Now, What we know about Mary is seven demons had come out of her. That's all we know. There's nothing, there's nothing sexual in this at all. Nothing. But we remember her as such. I I almost showed you this Da Vinci painting of Mary Magdalene, and literally it was it was too illicit. It was it was too sensual. It was it was inappropriate. Like, this is how we've remembered her, that she's this person caught in all this sexual sin. And actually, all it is, she's a woman who has had, she's had seven demons come out of her. Now, seven in the, in the, in the Bible is a picture of wholeness. We don't know. Like, she was a sinner, and now she's not. Some scholars speculate it's mental illness. She has mental illness. Some scholars say that the seven things she's healed from are like the seven deadly sins. Just a picture of her whole life was without Christ and Jesus changed her. And that's interesting because, you know, we can, we can have empathy. Like we, we've taught something about Mary that's not at all true in the scriptures. She's a sinner like us. That's, that's the picture. Like before Christ, she, she, she had demons. She had sin. She was encapsulated in a world without God. And then after Christ, her life is totally transformed. And now she's, she's supporting Christ. They're giving, you look at verse 3, they're helping to support them out of their own means. There's a financial component and there's a, there's a relational component. They're literally traveling with Jesus. It's also interesting here, we're not going to talk too much about it, but Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. You would believe that that's a person of high means and high social influence. So the church in the early days was definitely a ragtag bunch of people, fishermen and tax collectors, men and women, slave and free, people with means and without. There's a call to generosity. If God has blessed you in such a way that you financially have have enough, have more than enough, Christ is calling you, like, give out of your means. Help support the ministry, as many of you already are. That's the ministry of the church. It's the ministry of parachurch organizations, organizations around the world, around the, around the city. What, whatever it is that you pray over, we're meant to be using our means both financially and relationally to impact people for the gospel. Now, this is the intimacy that Mary experiences. That she's, she's not a, 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 you know, someone caught in sexual sin, but she's, she's this person who's been wholly delivered into a new life. It's remarkable. 
And it's countercultural because in Jesus' time, the rabbis would not teach women. And yet Jesus, the new rabbi, the, 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 the preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, the women are included. And you would have looked out your, your window in the first century and you would have seen this group trying by and you're like, what in the world is that? Men and women? Like rich and poor? Like the, the Magdalene? Like all of this? And no wonder that, that we've taught in church history that there must have been something romantic because we don't even have a category for this kind of new community. It's a new community aligned not by what they have together in their social economic status, aligned by Christ, aligned by their transformation, aligned by not who they were, but who Christ has made them become. That's why they gathered. And when we're at our best church, don't take this the wrong way, but this is our story. We look like kind of a ragtag bunch. We've got the old people and the young people. We have the single people and the married people. We have the males and the females. We have the rich. We have the poor. Like when we're at our best as a church, we're not lined because we're aligned by what we voted for, aligned by our stance on a certain issue of our day. No, what do we align under? It's Jesus Christ. And not because we're all such good Christians. We're aligned. We're Mary Magdalene. We were lost. Holy. Seven demons. That's my story. That's your story. And the Lord Jesus, like this is what gives us hope, is that he is changing us and making us new. The book of Ezekiel talks about this transformation. Ezekiel 36, where God says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove that heart of stone from your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of real flesh, a new heart. And some of you, that's like a, that's a description of where you've come from. Like, oh yeah, that's a good reminder that without God, I'd have an old heart and I want to appropriate my new heartedness. Some of you, that's prescriptive. Lord Jesus, take this heart of stone and make me new. And may I be like a Mary who's changed completely and my life reflects my new priorities. Give me a paradigm shift. This is what uh, has brought them community, not defined by who they were, but defined by who Jesus says they really are. They're known by him, their true identity. And so often I meet with people and we pray over things and they're, they're stuck in the past where the enemy is speaking lies into their life about past decision, past relationships, past you know, expectations. Stop being defined by who you were and start remembering that Christ is the one that gives you your identity and purpose in him. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says then, if therefore is anyone's in Christ, he, she, is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. That's the story of these women. They've heard the word, they've been healed by the word, and now they're traveling with Jesus, who is the incarnate word of God. They've left their well-defined role of family and home and social economic status. And they are on the road with Jesus. And you all know I'm a big fan of the, of, the, of the road trip. I mean, I love it. Like, load up, let's go. Nobody stops. We don't go to the bathroom. We barely even eat. We got somewhere to go. Like, I love this. They're on this road trip of, of hope and, and of telling other people about what Jesus has done for them. 
It's incredible. Now, a couple notes about this, because this is what the, te- the scriptures are so fun, because there's just so many layers, but just a few mini points, and then I'm going to make a major point. You ready? Mini point number one, there's a note about singleness in here. Like in the first century, for certain, a woman, even an older woman's place was in the home because women lived with their families, extended family, under one roof for a lifetime. But not these women. They're out here on the road with Jesus, and we don't know why. Are they single? Are they widows? Are they, we don't know. But so often in the church, we teach singleness as a curse. And we repent of that this morning. If you're single, you're not waiting to become the real you. If you're single, you're, you're free to be with Jesus, to be on the road with him, speaking with him, right? Like too often we make singleness a halfway point towards you'll be whole with Christ. It's not here in the scriptures at all. These women seem to be single and able to serve with Christ. So I see it as an opportunity. Let's start telling that story more. Many, pe- many point number two, Jesus does never looks down on women or reduce them to their gender or their sexuality. He never reduces them to that. He speaks in John 3 to the woman at the well, and he says, you've had five husbands. You're living in such a way, you're pursuing the wrong water. I'll be living water for you. But he never reduces women down to some sort of gender thing, sexuality thing, never In fact, the Gospels don't have a single woman who attacks Christ's character. No, those roles in the Scripture are reserved for men. It's just what the Bible says. It's not me. Do with it what you want. But what's a mini point out of this is so often in our society, we we reduce men and women, but particularly women, we reduce them to, to what they look like. It's a reduction, and it's not the Gospel. We were driving around this week, and Ed Sheeran comes on, and I'm in love with the shape of you, but you love that song, right? You know, right? And it's a great song, but it's so messed up. Like, and we're listening, and you know, I'm like, you know, and I look at my son, I'm like, you know what, bud? This is not love. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, because if you're falling in love for somebody's shape, like, the shape changes, and I'm not talking about my spouse. I'm talking about, like, my shape, right? Like, I want to believe, like, no, the shape's good. Yeah, like, I've been working out, LA Fitness sometimes. No, like, if we're loving each other's shapes, what a distortion of love. It's silly, but it's not. I mean, you look at everything that's happened in culture this year, and we realize that in many ways, women have been reduced in our society, reductions. And so, listen to Ed Sheeran, or not, whatever, but what are you teaching the next generation? Are you teaching them? This isn't what women are mostly valuable for, just their looks, just their shape, or, or men for that matter. No, this isn't the gospel. Jesus cuts across those lines, and he sees them as they really are. And this is what I want you to hear is the larger point. He knows their identity. He delivers people. That's what he does. And Mary knew that she'd been set free. And this knowledge is at the baseline of everyone who's truly a disciple. 
When you know you've been set free, it changes your trajectory. In the scriptures, when people really know their brokenness, they can really live into their wholeness. You look at Peter. He had pride, and then he fails Christ. And post-failure, he's restored to help feed others. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Zacchaeus was hated and corrupt, and he moves towards Jesus, and he follows him. Paul himself calls himself the chief of sinners. Over and over again, the woman in adultery, go and sin no more. you got to believe that she leaves and she's transformed because when you know your brokenness and you know that Jesus has set you free from that past life, you have more hope, more generosity, more gratitude. I want to live into this. I don't want to go back there. And this is a... This is a challenge for some of us that have been Christians for a while. But I can challenge you, church, because the more obvious your illness, the more obvious your recovery. And the more obvious your recovery, the more grateful you are. And the more grateful you are, the more your priorities are transformed. Like Mary, she's transformed, and her brokenness leads to her influence. And some of us that have been pursuing Christ for a bit, we forget this is our story. And maybe the sin looks different than what it looked like when we were a kid, but it's different sin that easily entangles pride or lust or anger or selfishness. You you can fill in the blank. I I can fill in the blank. And so when we go to Mary, it's it's a recapturing. This is still my story. Lord Jesus, teach me to be grateful from who I was to who I'm becoming. And don't let me get entangled in that sin anymore. I want to be different. Let me live in such a way where I know my brokenness. I want to be aware of my brokenness so that I can be aware of my transformation. Anyone that's done ministry will tell you that sometimes the more difficult context socioeconomically are actually the more freeing to do ministry in. What do I mean? When, when we were in Los Angeles, I taught at one of the poorest schools in the district And I did Young Life volunteer ministry at one of the more wealthy schools in the district. So during, you know, 8 to 3, I'd be down at the school, pouring at Glendale High School. We had a stabbing the year I was there on campus. The year before, there was a shooting, high racial unrest, a lot of anger. But man, you walk in that classroom, you look kids in the eye and tell them they belong and they matter, and they're like moss to light. It's so good because they're so devoid of people speaking that kind of hope into their life. Conversely, we'd roll up the hill and we'd have Young Life Club for a bunch of kids, many of them from more well-to-do families, not aware of their needs. That was a harder ministry context. You speak about the goodness of Jesus and they're like, eh, my life's already pretty good. This is the challenge for all of us in the room. Awareness of our brokenness like Mary lets us know that we are delivered. And when we know we've been delivered, we're changed like Mary, Mary Magdalene. She's this prototype for us. Let's look at the second thing. Because she's been delivered, she knows her identity. And it changes her. She becomes this woman of great devotion. Look at John 20. In John 20, just such a beautiful chapter. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16. She's her devotion forged by her identity. And Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Just quick recap. Jesus resurrected Easter Sunday. And the men ran, they didn't see, they ran away, and Mary stuck around. Now Mary stood, that word stood in Greek is ex, in an exti, means to continue to stand with perseverance. She continues to stand with perseverance outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and there she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. 
At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And then he said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. This is a, this is an amazing passage. She doesn't recognize him. Why? Scholars speculate different things. Was she looking at his feet, which would have been culturally appropriate? Was he in a post-resurrected form she didn't recognize? Was she so hysterical she just couldn't see through her own tears? We don't know. But this thing, like, she says, you tell me where he is and I'll get him. All she wants is, is to be devoted to Christ. She just wants to be near to him. She wants to experience him. She wants to stick around. And this thing about sticking around is incredibly important for us to hold on to. What do you stick to when life gets hard? What do you stick to? Like the men in the story, we're going to get to some more. I mean, they're like all over the place. They don't have any grounding. But Mary, she sticks to wanting to be where Jesus is. Over and over again in the Gospels, when Mary Magdalene, they tell where she is. She's there on the hill watching Christ crucified. She's here at the empty tomb, sticking around. The men have already left. She's looking closer. She wants to be present. She wants to really be devoted to Christ. Where will you go when life gets hard? Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And one of the scenes is especially important. That the seed sown or thrown on rocky soil. Jesus says that that the rocky soil received the seed with joy. Because the, the soil is shallow. But when the sun comes up over the rocky soil, the plants wither. And they die. And so what do we do with that? What we do with it is that if our soil is shallow, if we're sticking around Jesus just when things are working out for me, we'll never last in the life of faith. Or if we're making preconditions on following Jesus on if I'm in a relationship, if my bank account's full, if my calling's secure, if my kid's health is fine, if, 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 if we're making preconditions on following Christ, man, shallow soil. This isn't Mary's story. No, she's this rock where she's the last at the cross and she's the first at the tomb. And she understands much into proximity. Even when Jesus seems far, she keeps showing up. The reality, if you want to identify with Christ, is be devoted, stick around, engage. Don't, don't be far from him. But keep showing up. This is how we live out our faith. Said one scholar, grace is not given to them that speak their faith, but to those who live their faith. And this is the Magdalene story. This is why Mary is so inspirational. She's healed and she's saved and then she practices her faith in proximity. The Proverbs say it this way, Proverbs 8, 17, those who search for me will find me. And so Mary has this experience where Jesus looks at her and he says her name, Mary. He knows her. He's always known her. He'll always know her. And in the midst of her darkest day, she sticks around and she believes that she's not forgotten to christ she knows that her incredible worth is from her identity now this is really important because we often will mistake our importance from something that we're going to do like even even where jesus ends this about go and you know go and do these things we often mistake that we're if we do these things then we're valuable to christ it's not at all godly The value to Mary is in a transformation. She's known here. 
And God speaks this word of encouragement to Christ, like, I still know you. You're valuable not for what I've sent you to do, but first of who, who you are. We mistake it. We think if I don't know all the right answers, I won't have value. I won't do it right. We had this experience when the church was over at the Spartan gym, and we, we just kind of moved, and uh, we used to stream Richard every week, and I'd gone to preaching every week, and so I was a little bit nervous about that, to be quite honest. I wasn't sure I was going to be that good at it, and I was trying to live up to, you know, his expectations and yada, yada, and, and the church is growing, and people are coming, and it's kind of exciting, and then one Sunday, I'm kind of by the front before the service, and, and in walks one of my esteemed seminary professors. He, he walks in, and I was taken aback, and he wasn't there like, hey, I'm here for you, bro. No, I mean, he was just there to go to church, and so, you know, this is what you don't say if you join our welcome team. I'm standing at the front door and I say, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm here for church. I mean, he's esteemed seminary professor, doctor, such and such. And honestly, I'm like, oh, yeah, hey, yeah. And I went back. If you remember in Spartan Gym, there were some little bathrooms in the back. And I went in and I shut the door and I locked the door. And I sat down and I was so full of fear. How am I going to say something to the person that I learned something from. In that moment, the insecurities just came flooding in about my, my inadequacy and my, my, you know, my lack of training and all these things. And then God spoke this word of encouragement. Scott, just show them your heart. Like, just show them your heart. Intimacy with me, says Jesus, isn't just a bunch of things that you know in your head. It's being close to me in relationship and showing up. So show up in people's lives. Show up with Christ himself. And you won't be judged when you don't show up with all the answers. But as you show up, as you open the scriptures and say, God, give me a new word today. As you pray to God, he honors that and you know him more. Because the proximity breeds familiarity and intimacy. She is devoted. And finally, Mary gets this invitation. She gets direction. Like literally her life in the Gospels, it's like stage directions for a play because she's stage left, stage right. She's at the cross. She's at the tomb. She's with Christ on the road. Like we always know where she's at. And then at the end of her story, we don't know how her story ends, but we know that she's invited by Christ. She's directed. What to do now? Jesus says, go and tell others. Look at verse 17 through 22 of John 20. Look at verse 17. Teacher said, Jesus said, do not hold on to me. She, she's, she's so relieved. She's so happy. She's so joyous. Put yourself in her shoes. You thought that your t- the son of God was dead and he's alive. I mean, she's freaking out and she's grabbing him. And he's not chastising her for giving him a hug. He's just saying, hey, we can't stay like this. Do not hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the father, but go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene, again, every time they say Mary, when we, like, they want us to know that's the Mary we're talking about. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. Like, all that stuff that we talked about on the road, all that stuff that we saw him do, all the ways that we were sure it was a mistake when he was killed three days ago, it's all real. And I've seen it. And she told them that he said these things to her. And then the scene changes. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
And after the, this, he showed them his hands and his side, and disciples were overjoyed. They saw the Lord themselves. And then Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. What in the world's going on here? Like, he's already given this message of go to Mary. Why does he need to give it again to the disciples? He, she's already told them, I've seen the Lord and the resurrection's real. Why are they not out telling others, like, going in? Why are they still in a room scared? Because they don't believe her. They don't believe her. They think she's nuts. They th- I mean, fill in the blank. There's no way logically, if they believe that Jesus is resurrected, that they're holed up in a room full of fear. And so Jesus is like, I've already told Mary, do I, ah, all right, comes to the room, Here's my hands, here's my side, here's my, he breathes. You know, like, I don't think he's annoyed, but I would be. Like, we've really, really struggled to listen to the voice of women in the church for 2,000 years. And if you don't think that's true, I don't know if you're paying attention. I'm not saying to be elevated above men. No, we're we're just saying Jesus uses Mary as an instrument of evangelism in all four Gospels. Trivia question. You have your Bible, you can cheat. What's the first word in John of the resurrected, out of resurrected Jesus' mouth? Woman. All right? Every woman in the room is like, yes, we have that going for us. And some theologians say, you know, what's happening there is just as Eve was part of the curse of humanity, Mary is part of the rebirth for all men and women. I love that. That's beautiful. We talk a lot about in Christian circles of the curse of Eve. This is the rebirth through Mary. And not about Mary. It's about Jesus. It's incredible. And they don't believe her. That, and so Jesus has to come and, and to tell them, hey, go. You can't stay here. He, you can't stay here. The fact of the matter is, I know, just like Mary wanted to hug me, just guys, you're in this room and it probably feels safe. The life of Christianity is not meant to be one of safety and self-provision. It's not. Jesus says, this is not why I came so you could hole up and just hang out with people that all think the same way. I'm sending you into the world. I'm giving you a mission. There is never just Jesus and me. It's never meant to be privatized. We are always understanding Christ's revelation and sent on a mission so that others would know him well. Paradigm shift. My transformation leads to more intimacy with me and Jesus. And then Christ sends me out and says, you can't stay here. I need you to go and be directed, knowing and understanding the surface and the substance. Your faith will be forged as you step out in faith. I need you to go. This week, we had uh, the opportunity, Pastor Raul, Raul set up this. Yeah, it's fun to say, Raul. Uh, we set up a meeting with a former pastor mentor. We prayed together about what Jesus is doing in the cities. Really encouraging how God took him from one building, one location, now meeting with churches all over the region and talking about the Holy Spirit and the power of prayer. It was, it was awesome. And he asked me, this pastor, he's like, tell me your story. Why are you here? And I got to tell him the story of God's call in my life. Where in searching about God, wh- where do you want me to do? What do you want me to live? I thought I kind of understood And God gave me a paradigm shift. And it happened in this little town in France. This is like a real picture of a real place. And it's kind of, it's like paradise. This little town of Cassis on the Mediterranean. You can sit in these little cafes and eat boulebets, you know, tomato soup with seafood. And it's fancy, you know. And in Cassis, France, God said, these words to me, I'll never forget. He said, come and build the church. That's your mission, Scott. That the church would matter in people's lives. 
The people would rally around the word of God. The people would be known in community and that they would be sent on mission. And I just had to recount this in our meeting on Wednesday about sitting in a cafe, sharing to my wife, like, you're never going to believe this thing. God's giving us this mission. It's not easy to be living life on go. It's not. Much of us, myself included, we get in seasons where we just kind of want to hunker down. And all of it has to come as a response to intimacy with Jesus on our own. We're not earning anything as we go. No, we're responding in faith like Mary. We're we're being transformed and and through our devotion, we're knowing intimacy with Christ and then all of us getting this mission to go and to be on mission. That we would encounter the love of Jesus, that we would be in community and on mission in neighborhoods so that new people can come in and be changed. That's, That's what it's all about. That's what the Jesus gospel story is all about. And so Mary becomes this kind of cool story about a woman who's changed, about a woman who knows Christ deeply and becomes a a role model of sorts. And then just a reminder that for every one of us in the room, we're being sent. We're being sent in relationship. We're being sent into the scriptures to keep showing up. We're being sent to know people who go to our church, all of it for the glory of God. I don't know if you're tired this morning or bored or, or doing great. I don't, know where, I don't know where you're at in life of faith. But I do know that Christ, through this Mary, this Magdalene, wants to remind you his passion is real. His hope is never-ending. And he's calling us as his church to be awake in the city of life for him. Let's pray together now. Lord Jesus, thank you for the reminder of this really cool story of this woman. And Lord, we repent for ways that we've marginalized her story or believe things about her that really weren't true. We're thankful for her transformation and just the intimacy she knew from just showing up and spending time around you. God, give us that encouragement to be people of presence with you, God. Opening our Bibles to be with you, praying more and more, finding connections with other people that are following you. And then God, send us out on mission And we don't know what that looks like, whether that's being generous financially with groups that we support across the world or across the street, whether that's being generous with our time in our neighborhood or even at church, getting to know people who look like they maybe are just new and don't belong. But God, each and every one of us is sent to go and tell others about your great love. So Lord, make this more than just something that we think about. Make it something that we actually behave like. And remind us through this paradigm shift, through Mary's life, you're calling each of us to further up and further in for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen.